Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hey, Mark here. I just have a fun announcement for you. So we recently started doing these Final Fight episodes, and we've been putting them up with the movies, the regular movie films and flicks episodes. However, the Final Fight episodes people really loved. So we figured that we would start a brand new podcast just called Final Fights, brought to you by Movie Films and Flicks, where it's nothing but final fights in movies, where we discuss every punch, bite, kick, head kick, gut punch, Everything you can think about, we do a lot of research, and they're short episodes. They're probably about 20 to 30 minutes. They're really quick to listen to, and they just talk about all your favorite final fights. So head to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe, and listen to final fights. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome to Movies, Films, and Flicks. I am Mark Hoffmeyer, and joining me is a man who currently wishes that he could be best friends with an owl-cat hybrid. It's Chris Kelly. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, I, I didn't want to do this, Mark, but you made me. Archimedes! <laughs> do, your, do your worst. I love that, that, that little... I mean, it's it's natural for a cat just to fly away. Of okay. course. Happens all the time. That's the reason why I, that's the reason why I Skype now on these podcasts is because your cats kept attacking me. <laughs> flew right in. It was like, oh my God. We were that fish cologne. <laughs> Chris Kelly, it's a bad idea. I told you three times already. So, so I got I was the other day I was editing the the podcast for the King of the Ants, which is kind of insane because it's Stuart Gordon directed, and then Tyler McIntyre is kind of a Stuart Gordon fan of reanimator and all those pictures so it's it's a nice uh, what's the word it's a nice um flow yeah yeah like that we that we went from that into well. that but yeah so i was editing the podcast and i kept going chris kelly and my wife megan just goes mark did you just say chris kelly aloud <laughs> <laughs> like no <laughs> so in this house you're just known as chris kelly <laughs> what's chris kelly doing yeah, all the time, even when I go to work, I'm never Chris or, or Kelly. It's always Chris Kelly. Chris Kelly too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, I just uh, I just had to tell you that. But I think it's pretty neat that we we moved on from kind of the, that low budget King of the Ants to this movie and Patchwork that was released in 2015. And you just told me something really interesting. We we tend not to talk about the pod, uh, you know, the the movie before we start the podcast because we want it to seem fresh. But you told me something really interesting. This movie cost less than $100,000 to make? Yes. I had actually conducted my own interviews for this podcast with uh, everybody involved. And Tyler McIntyre had told me that the movie cost a little under $100,000. So he, he wrote, directed, and edited this piece, right, Tyler McIntyre? Yes, co-wrote. Oh, that, that's crazy. I mean, $100,000, which I, I, I kind of want to watch it again now because... I don't know how, how low of an, how you've worked on indie shorts before, right? But like working yeah. on a full length picture, 90 minute picture for a hundred thousand dollars with the effects that they had in blood in different locations. This like, it makes me appreciate it more. I mean, I've worked on $25,000 features before where I'm telling you, man, we brought all of our own clothes. We had a couple locations and I had one tree that I moved to every single location. And this is very early in my cinema. This is 2011. And so I didn't know much about production design or designing pictures. I just knew that I had one tree that was like a fake tree. And so for every office scene, I put that fake tree in the every single office. And then I put it in the apartment. So when you watch this movie, it's called Undocumented Executive. If you ever watch it, you will notice the same tree in the background of every single shot. Because we, 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 we had next to nothing. Like I was using a chair, rolling chairs as dollies. We were... 
you know, it, yeah, it was, how, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've done movies like that before. I mean, if you want a dolly, get a skateboard. I mean, I, I really like the ingenuity that we came up with, but I do feel terrible now knowing that I put a tree in every, in the background of every single scene. <laughs> it it kind of hurt my soul, but I mean, but why dude, this does not look like a 100, like a $100,000 movie. I would no, say. not at all. I, I think it looks, I thought it was a several million dollar production, especially with uh, the effects as far as visual effects go with the owl cat and with the blood I, alone. I thought that was at least 10 grand right there was for the, the blood, but there's a lot of body parts. Body parts, decapitated yeah. heads are not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> They're not. Like you have like the arms and legs and all that kind of junk. I mean, that's not cheap. Yeah, I used to I used to have uh, fake body parts uh, strewn around my apartment back well, when I was an, an apartment. Now it's a condo, but I used to have them out just as like for Halloween and whatnot. They ain't cheap. <laughs> you can drop a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> You know when you go to Michael's and you find out that yeah. the Reeves, huh. when they're not on sale for 50% off, they're like $300? Yeah, right. That's like fake like, arms. Like, that's a deal. I, I heard from this guy, Mark, about this fake tree that he's still hustling around for 50 bucks. <laughs> we got I, – I, I took that thing. So we filmed in right, – so we filmed in this office building, and they didn't want us there. But they had a bunch of empty offices, so we were able to rent it out for really cheap. So we had to work around these accounting departments while making this movie. I've had to do that, yeah. And I, I kept borrowing stuff from the people, and they got annoyed about it. Then they stopped yeah. letting me borrow it. And then I, air quotes, started borrowing things for the tapes. <laughs> I always put them back. But no, I mean, I, I thought that was really cool that you told me about this movie. And you actually, you told me about this movie about a year ago when you do your Chris <laughs> Kelly recommendations. <laughs> yeah. I'll save the song for later. And I, I thought it sounded interesting, but... I, you know, I'm glad I finally watched it. How'd you first hear about this picture? I was on Shutter, and as you know, I'm an avid Shutter user. Just close and your was... eyes and pick a movie. <laughs> I went on there, and it popped up as the new releases. I'd watch any of the new releases just to see what what's out there. A lot of times, you'll see films that are from various parts of the world. I think uh, that same night, I also watched Demon, which was a Polish horror film, which was okay. But before that, I watched Patchwork, and I thought, I'll give it a shot. Why not? And I watched it, and I was just blown away with it immediately. I thought that everything about it just looked great. I instantly got the humor that director Tyler McIntyre was going for. I loved the gore. I loved the characters. You know, I thought Jennifer was very, very good. Melanie, Ellie, I just thought all those characters combined into one head was just the funniest idea and how they're all trying to control the same body and then trying to figure out who did this to them, who stitched them together and why. I just found that was just the ridiculous concept and I just loved it immediately. Now, I don't recommend anybody doing this. But I, <laughs> I loved I loved. I loved it when Jennifer runs into the frat house and just starts beating the living daylights out of the guys. But I love the sc the song. So it's 102010 by the Generationals. I hunted it down. Mm -hmm. That song gets me jacked. It makes me want to go run into like a, a frat house somewhere and run amok. Just scare the living daylights out of people. True story. That house was actually the house that uh, Tori Stolper, who plays Jennifer, she lived there when she was in college. Oh, wow. And that scene, that, that's a one-take scene. They had three window panes, three fake window panes that they could use. And that scene was actually shot six months after principal photography. So they had 12 days of uh, principal photography. And 12 Tyler, days? 12 days. They didn't uh, sleep. They did not sleep. Nope. <laughs> no sleep. So in the interview that I had with Tyler, he said that made the movie, and they wanted to shoot this fight sequence, but they didn't have enough money for it. So the, they had made... Uh, sorry, they had showed what was the result of the film without the fight sequence, and the executive producer then gave them some extra money to do two more days of reshoots, and they shot that one-take fight sequence within those days, and then that was the actual second take that was used for the fight sequence. So they, they busted up one window, and then it didn't work because there was a, a production design issue, shot it again, and it worked perfectly. And they brought in, like, aquarium glass, and the, the thing didn't break. <laughs> <laughs> like son of a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> Funk. No, um, but twelve days. That's twelve uh, days. Isn't that nuts? Man, how much coffee? All right. So the first day, four cups of coffee. Second day, six <laughs> cups of coffee. We'd look like different human beings after the twelfth day. Yeah. After that, I think I'd probably quit the business. But <laughs> I actually looked up the the people who did the stunts in this, the coordinators, and that's Caroline mm -hmm. O'Day and Trio Tool. They've done a ton of work. 
very experienced stunt coordinators. Because I watched that fight scene, and there's some good gags in there. There's some good bumps. Oh, yeah. Well. There's one guy up against the wall uh, running around the room. What was it? The one guy goes upstairs, and then Stitch beats him with the pledge paddle. And yeah. <laughs> goes back around, chases the other guys around. Uh, the room throws the one guy through the window. And the, the, the cinematography was phenomenal in that shot, too, by Powell Pogorzelski. That dude's crushing it. Who's gone on to do um, phenomenal films such as Hereditary and Midsummer? Man, he's really good. That, man, so those are two completely different films, too, if you think about it, Hereditary and Midsummer. One's kind of all claustrophobic three, in the home. Yeah, all three, yeah. And then Midsummer is just drenched in light and bonkers and, and open. Yeah. Everything is very vast and open. It's like, man, these are two entirely different styles. And then, of course, you have Patchwork, and it's like three different styles of film. During your interviews, did you – I think it sounded like they synced the song to the fight scene as well. I don't know if you noticed that. So when she's swinging the paddle, it was going with the beat of the 10-20-10 by the Generationals. I didn't ask him about that, but I've, I'm assuming that that may have been a happy accident. I, I, let's say they did it. Let's give them credit. Great job, guys. You know, much yeah, like, phenomenal job. I'm pretty sure that Edgar Wright stole his idea for Baby Driver from the the stunts in this film, building a fight scene around a song. What do you think? May have been. Who knows? <laughs> he said uh, Tyler said it um, that 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 scene was inspired by Old Boy. Just oh, just going in and just clearing out a location. Yeah. I, yes. Oh, kind of going back because he went back to the what that warehouse and had that long hallway fight with the hammer. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, whenever uh, Stitch breaks the door down, the guy's eating the cheese and peanut butter crackers. <laughs> I thought that, I, I just watched that movie, watched it again this morning. I thought it was so funny. She uh, axes the guy in the leg, pulls off his leg, beats him to death. In his own leg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's natural. I mean, that's what happens, right? You've never done that before. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just didn't want to brag about it. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I didn't Ran want to make. Random question for you. What's the better hammer hammer fight? Old boy? Or have you seen the Raid 2? Hammer Girl? No, Destroy I tried, I, I'm not I'm not big into those movies. I tried to watch Raid. I just didn't. Oh, those are epic. They got some good hammer hammer fights. Oh, gosh. I'll have to, I'll have to watch it. I know, I know you've been telling me to watch it for a while. Got it. I haven't gotten into it yet. No, but yeah. So, I mean, just the roving camera. I mean, the movement, the one take. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they had to wait that long to do that. That's a tough shot to get on a 12-day schedule. Just the amount yeah. of... That in um, itself is just one day. I mean, but according to Tyler, that was like half a day. Oh, wow. I mean, but also, I, I, you, you said something else interesting to me as well. You said that Tori Stolper, she was more confident with this film because Tyler is also an editor. And I mean, when you, when you know editing and when you're producing, writing, directing, when you know your budget, when you know your producers, and when you have your days pretty much storyboarded out, you kind of know what you want when you're going into this process. And I tell my students this all the time. If you don't have that much money, the best thing you can do is storyboard. I mean, it's free. It's cheap. You can plan it out, get each shot. So, I mean, I guess half a day is not that surprising for someone like Tyler's used to moving quick. I would agree with that. Just like how he would know what to look for and how to make it look uh, yeah. would definitely give confidence in your actors. Because a lot of times, as we both know from working on films, when you're working with, you don't know who certain, the, the director, how he's going to work. But knowing that his background is in editing. That would totally open everybody up. Not only that, but the majority of these people had already worked with Tyler on the previous productions of his. You and I would have hated working on this movie. You want to know why, Chris <laughs> Kelly? Coffee? I don't know. Yeah, well, no, you know how much time we've had to sit around and drink coffee on some pictures? Yeah, no, that's be, a good there, point. There, would, yeah. There, would no be, there wouldn't be any BSing on this movie. It'd be yeah, moving. This would not be Marvel. <laughs> we, would actually, we would actually need coffee on this because we're not sleeping, not just because we're bored. So before I talk more about coffee, how about we get a Chris Kelly breakdown of this movie? <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this, you've probably watched the picture, but I'd love to hear what, uh, what the breakdown is, Chris Kelly. Try to try to make it, make it succinct. Essentially, three women are stitched together after a night of drinking. The three people are controlling one brain, and different people are controlling the whole body. So it's like one part of the body is controlled by Jennifer, the other part is controlled by Madeline, the other one's controlled by Ellie. And then they try to – they escape from – this uh, laboratory to try to figure out who did this to them and why. I love that there, well, there's six different parts. There's flashbacks. There's different angles. I never would have guessed that Madeline was a serial killer. Yeah, right. That was fantastic. I love that. Does she want that dude's hands? <laughs> right? Because she was telling how great they are, and he's like, you're kind of weird. I like it. I love that line that she says, and she's like, whenever they're at the bar, he says, give me the, uh, the Tom Blake. He's like, 
Oh, so, uh, they uh, they named a drink after me here. She's like, oh, really? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the Tom Blake. Yeah, he's a, he was actually a really nice guy as well. I talked to him briefly. He said that he had met all of the people on Tyler's previous film called Oliver Stoned, and they asked him. He was asked to then do a small role in this film. So he well, was happy to do so. Uh, his character was supposed to be sort of like an action hero. He was described as being a character who was part of a MacGyver-like series, who was uh, figured who thought that the world like revolved around him almost. So whenever you see him in the show, in the movie, he's that's why he's like how he is. And I love how we saw a little clip of the show a, a little briefly, wherever he slips his hand out of the handcuffs to dismantle the bomb. And he's like, of course, I'll help you out, Mr. President. Oh, wow. I never put that together. Yeah, that's him. And that's when Garrett's watching it, James Phelps. Yes. From the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. That's Good, cool. Fantastic little role, too. I, I kind of I like that guy. I like that scene. And I, I kind of dug how it went back and forth and the, the, the kind of different timelines. It was a lot of fun to kind of piece everything together. Yeah. Through, through my interviews, uh, Tyler said that the idea came from a psychological implications of having different people connected together. Uh, it's not scientific, but thematically, it was a pretty rich idea to find a fun story and character ideas. And I, I do love that in this world, you, they, he never explains how he's able to make the three connect with brains and different body parts and head spaces and all this thing. It just sort of works. And I like yeah. that. I, I like that better in these pictures. Not once that I think this would never happen. I, you know, some of these movies that, <laughs> but I think there are these some of these movies that go for realism. And then they have a moment, and you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. But in this one, I think anything is, is game in this world. And I also want to know, so there's a scene with the scientist played by Corey Sorensen. I really liked him a lot. And I liked how he was going to kind of explain how he got to where he was. And I, I want to know where he went to school. He obviously has dad issues at the end when he's like, you know, take that, dad, that he did this. I mean, he this guy can bring people to life. So he went to med school, you think, right? I mean, there's oh, no there's yeah. no evil med school, maybe maybe in this world. Maybe he did go to an evil med school, but then wouldn't he be more successful? If he was in an evil med school? Yeah, if it was like a legit thing, wouldn't, wouldn't he be more of a success? He wouldn't be in a warehouse? But see, you can't be an evil scientist in a yeah, suburb. They call you up and they're like, "Hey, so, uh, well, my understanding is you're an evil scientist. We really need this, and we need this potion. Would you mind helping a brother out?" Or <laughs> when you go to the ER, there's not a like a very well lit section. That's the like, the the nice section, and then there's not like a dark, a darkly lit and damp warehouse section. Hey, which you see one? All you... Dark curtains and only candle yeah. candles only are the light. <laughs> you can get your broken leg fixed in either or. You get your pick. So yeah, there's no, I don't think there's a evil, you, you got to operate in a warehouse underneath a legit front. I think he had a legit business and terrible commercials, by the way. He had the legit business because that's how he has to make money somehow. Yeah, and then he yeah. had his kind of black market body swapping thing going on. But okay. So if Mad Madeline wanted to have kind of the perfect body, so then she transferred herself into two other people into a very scarred up creation where arms pop off is yeah, that you kind of that, into it all it, the different body parts make one big one big perfect part and that's kind of what she wanted maybe that reflects her broken psyche no yeah. oh. see there you go and no, no, I, I love that kelly <laughs> Corey Sorensen said when he first read the script he said that he thought it was kind of like a feminist frankenstein and then he immediately thought cool i'm in yeah <laughs> Yeah, the he, fun he really, roles where you get to chew scenery, you kind of you get to yell out owl, you know the name of an Archimedes owl cats. <laughs> he was also uh, the one that was given the most improv room. Oh really? Oh, I yeah, guess that like, makes sense. When he was dragging the big guy along, he's like, you know, I'm gonna make a tall guy much. I'm gonna take your spine out and make a tall, a short guy taller. <laughs> I love whenever he's asked how how big is this place? Vast. <laughs> <laughs> he's like you're a big person i bet you have good spare parts and then uh, well, yeah, he's like, i'm gonna make a short person very tall i mean and then i also kind of lurk lurk i also like how he said you know you killed a bunch of my staff and people but we'll get over it it's fine like we'll we'll work on it he doesn't care much about his staff's life so i would not want to be an employee for this guy yeah he's pretty fast and loose when it comes with the uh, employees but I like that he's totally earnest in being a mad genius. There's no conflict, 
confliction there. Obviously, you know, he's like, you know, take that, dad. But he's very happy to murder people and take bodies and make weird things. Well, yeah, it's like he's he's trying to create uh, he's trying to create a perfect person. Yeah. That's kind of how uh, Corey Sorensen saw his saw the character of the surgeon. He said that that the surgeon is trying to create a perfect world or a perfect person. I never. It's always interesting how much have you know the movie Street Fighter with Raul Julia and JCVD. Oh yeah, that, of course. Yeah, he plans on taking the world over the world by making super soldiers, but they make one very slowly. So like, <laughs> what's what's, <laughs> the, what's the return value by like 2050? You should be done with like at you least have, a you have six. Department. You have six people. <laughs> it's a it's a long term strategy, and I, I I appreciate that about him. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you got you got to. There's a lot of trial and error when it comes to making different different bodies and people. Now, where are the cops during all of this? Well, uh, obviously, like the, the, a lot of these people that are getting taken are they don't really have too many friends or people who really care about them. Oh yeah, you're you're right, nobody, right. It's only a crime if it's an if it's announced. I guess they established that early on, right? Because you have Jennifer, you have the party girl. You have Jennifer, who's obviously the only person who really pays attention, or someone that's already married to another woman who um, wears a Bluetooth at all times. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta tell you, when that guy got killed, because all right, he was smacking gum, and I just I hate gum smacking. So he's sitting in the car, gum smacking. Has they found the biggest Bluetooth imaginable? <laughs> strapped it on his ear and you're just, and then you know very rarely in horror films do i like it when so you know when characters are created that you're supposed to cheer when they die very rarely do i like that when the jerk gets killed but this one i'm like get rid of this guy dude smacking yeah. gum it's like the, the the guy from uh the friday the 13th remake whenever he gets smoked you're like yeah i'm all right with this oh the the big jerk guy yeah it's like yeah i'm all right with this guy going yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then when they when they got him, and then you know he's he's with another woman, and then he just turns his back from her when she's like, "I don't want yeah. you to go." I'm like Man, this guy, jeez Louise. One of the things that thought was funny was that the way that Corey had put it was that the film uh, they were given a lot of uh, improv, and Tyler had what uh, gave all the actors room for growth and whatnot. But he said that Tyler was disciplined enough to get everything done, so we didn't feel like we were in a clown car. Well, maybe a clown car that was being towed by Tyler. Oh, that's that's cool. I thought that was a great quote that he gave me. He said that everybody had a blast while filming it, which is this shows very much throughout the uh, production of this film. So there's a lot of laughter, and everyone was in high spirits throughout the production. I mean, that's got to be in pre-production too, just getting what you need and no one knowing it. I mean, how many yeah, shows yeah. have we been on where it's like, what are we doing next? Well, all right, let's set up a camera somewhere, and you're like, wait, what? But I guess yeah. that's that's the luxury you have when you have a hundred million, two hundred million dollar budget. When you're, you can be a little more loosey goosey, I guess. When you when the when the budget is tight, you got you're kind of limited as to what you're going to do. And I also I read I read an interview with him where he mentioned that he started out. So I, I I read this and he said when I was at the American Film Institute, I was lucky to work with, for Roger Corman during the summer, mostly editing and a little directing, which helped me learn to keep things frugal and respect genre while covering out your own voice. Basically, if there's an abandoned building that's going to be destroyed, ask them if you can blow it up for production value, right? Yeah. That's a famous Cor Corman thing. He's like, oh, after that, oh, I was uh, Pedro Bog... Bog, Bog I know how to say this name. You're Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich's assistant, uh, who actually started his career with a great horror movie uh, for Corman called Targets. And then he kind of just learned from all these different guys about editing and, and kind of make, uh, you know, making cuts. And then he talked to Stuart Gordon, and then Gordon gave feedback on the scripts and, and viewings. So he had some pretty great mentors yeah. on this picture. And you know, I think they taught him probably how do you get the bang for your buck. And these guys all respected genre, too. This is very much a genre picture meant for genre fans. Yeah, I, I felt that whenever I saw the film that if you don't understand that the, the gore and the humor, it's a film that for those type of people, which I lo absolutely love. But how many of how many of these movies have we watched that just haven't worked, right? I thought there was I thought the acting was was solid in here. I thought the the effects were fun. I had a good time with this picture, whereas I've watched other ones that I felt just kind of disjointed, right? That haven't worked. But I thought the the acting was excellent by everyone around. You actually liked a lot of the characters going through the scene yeah, when they're in their room, 
kind of talking about what they like and what they can do. I mean, they did. It is pretty interesting that they 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 dealt with becoming three and one pretty easily. But I mean, you know, you got to make a movie, so who cares? But like the, the hula hooping, and then the ones like I don't I don't get along with my dad. Like drop that down there pretty quickly. I can do my own taxes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think there's there was a good there's enough character building moments that I kind of dug in this picture. Yeah. Everybody kind of met, everybody meshed together really well. Tyler had told me that his original, uh, the, what was supposed to be used for the characters, was that Jennifer was written a lot like one of his good friends. Ellie was as the ditzy blonde, and originally she was supposed to be the relatable one, and she was supposed to make the intelligent decisions. But the world around her is the one that manipulates her and aims her in a bad path. And Madeline was written very differently. But they had various ideas, wound up just letting uh, Maria Blazucci, who was the lady who played Madeline, allowed her to create the character because of what she did in, uh, during the rehearsals. And she was, she's done a lot of drunk history. Yeah, hell yeah, she did. Oh, my God. I saw that. She also does her own podcast. She nice. does a podcast for Erios. Cool. Drunk history. That'd be fun. Yeah, right? Like every day. That, that's got to be a lot of – that's got to be a hoot to be on on a regular basis. I'm too old for that, man. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> drunk nap <laughs> we got a, we got a mcgruber mcgruber episode coming up and during the commentary for that film the director's drinking every time someone says mac or mcgruber or oh, one, a variation of his name and i was thinking about during that during the podcast i'm like no chance i was like i'll just do coffee um the grave dancers did the same thing and by the end of it they, they take a drink every time you see a lamp because they had a lot of lamps donated in the grave dancers have you ever seen that I, i'm telling wow. you lamps go every i've moved lamps around a lot too I mean, yeah, they're very helpful. People don't understand in filmmaking that if you if something if you overly light someone, it's overly light something. It's easier to fix that in post as opposed to brightening it up. Yeah. And also, in a lot of these dark rooms that you have, I mean, you can't be bombing in twelve you know twelve k's outside of a house if you yeah. don't have the budget. So you're gonna need a lamp. Of course, of course. Um, but what, one of the things that I really liked was uh, that the inspiration for this movie that. It's pretty obvious that it's the 80s and 90s flat stick type of films, such as The Evil Dead, Reanimator, and Dead Alive. One thing that I thought was interesting was that Tyler said he had not seen Frankenhooker prior to making this movie. And it did, I mean, Frankenhooker is a lot. I mean, they're they're very much sim They're not uh, obviously not identical, but they they have a lot of similar moments in them. It was like that's interesting that he had um, come up with this movie without seeing Frankenhooker to begin with. I mean. I, I can see where the nucleus of this comes from, though, as opposed to the difference between Frankenhooker, right? It's kind oh, of a, yeah. I mean, Frankenstein is the movie. Yeah, it's kind of a. I mean, Frankenhooker rip, not ripped off, but lovingly paid tribute to Frankenstein. So I guess it's just, just another take on. Guys, want to tell you something real quick? I caught the last fifteen minutes of Van Helsing the other day, the two thousand four Hugh Jackman picture. Have you watched that oh, movie? Yeah, it's been a while, but I've seen it. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where. Frankenstein swings across a bridge on electrical cables and he flies through a glass window and then he double kicks a vampire perfectly. Jesus. I, I, I was I was watching it feeling like I was in a like a fever dream. And then Van Helsing's battling Dracula and Dracula keeps going turning into a bat, but every time he turns back into his human a human he has his clothes back on. So uh, is, is is it vampire clothing? That's it. <laughs> Who the designer be on that? Just kind of like pop off on moving about. I can roll with most things, but when Van Helsing turned into a werewolf, he just had shorts <laughs> left. But then Dracula gets his clothes back. Yeah, like give me back my Union Bay's. Dracula has a full outfit on. Like, wait a minute, how did that work out? How come I got the shit end of the stick? And I'm not. I don't want to tell you about the ending. I mean, even though it is 16 years ago, but the ending. I made a joke, and I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if they just did that? And then they did that, and we were all just sitting there going, that happened. That's, I think that's the weirdest big-budget movie, aside from maybe Aquaman, that's been released since 2000. Wow. I, I, it's been a minute since I've seen Aquaman as well. You know so how many people remember. died at the ending of Aquaman? Aquaman becomes the king of the sea by murdering about 2 million people. And everyone's like, great, Aquaman. Like. <laughs> That's how you unite kingdoms, is you kill about seven, 70,000 crab creatures in one foul swoop. As he just turns to the camera and then shrugs his shoulders. And then during the kissing scene, ships are blowing up all over the place. All he had to do was just, guys, I have to try it. But instead he just kills the living shit out of a million people. Like, like but first, let me get this kiss, then I'll blow up half the kingdom. It's, how else am I going to be king? That's a gnarly picture, man. 
It's been a hot minute since I've seen that, yeah. What is a hot minute? Um, I guess that would be a phrase that's been like a while. I guess when you're – you and I have stood in some very hot temperatures doing nothing yeah, before. Yeah, we were in the hottest we, – we shot in the hottest uh, moment uh, that was recorded in Georgia. So that minute was hot. That it hour was. was really hot. That 10 hours – that 12 hours actually was excruciatingly hot. And we only <laughs> did about two things that day. It was pretty rough, but yeah, there was a lot of it – was, it, was it was a long, hot day. It was finding cover. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, well, I, <laughs> back to the movie. Back to the movie. Uh, part of my interview I did with Chris Lee Hill, who was one of the co-writers, and uh, he told me that he had met Tyler while they were in uh, at university in Canada at a film club. And it turns out that they had a lot in common, such as they used to make a lot of films on camcorders, and they were both from small towns. So they instantly uh, hit it off. He said that the, the inspiration, some of the inspiration that he drew from for this movie was from 90s Star Trek. And he said that, he felt like the idea of three people controlling one mind had been in Star Trek, but he wasn't like 100% sure. That's, <laughs> That's um, interesting. He said that some people have asked him if he got the idea from Herman Herman's head. If you remember that show from the early 90s? No. You remember that? Um, it's, it's kind of a cheeky show. It was one of those very early 90s shows where a lot of the cutaways in the, in the episodes were be, would be inside of his brain. And it was like another version of him talking to, to the screen. And then he would act it out. So it was kind of like he was controlling himself and so forth and whatnot. But he said he had never seen the show, so he didn't, he didn't connect the two. That Some must of the suck when you make something. Because, Chris, right, like, when you make a picture and someone's like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of Frankenstein. Or that reminds me of this. It's yeah. It's you got that idea from Slugs, right? And you're like, I, I never saw Slugs. I mean, there's basically seven <laughs> stories that are told, isn't there? Uh, eight, I believe I forget what the exact number was. So you make a picture. Hey, that's like this. Like, no, man. Like, I don't know. No, I didn't get. It didn't all come from there. But yeah, it, I just thought that was interesting. They said he he had probably seen that in a Star Trek episode or something. I mean, I, I guess some things that you watch as a kid stay with you. I mean, I guess my viewings of Return of the Jedi made me love monster movies so much. Like that's the kind of monsters I see in my head from like Rancor and all that. So I'm sure something has to stick. Yeah, and of course that would affect your writing and the different styles, and if you were to make movies, you would then bring that ideology on with you. I tell you what, though, I do love Ellie's plan to go back to her apartment to get peanut butter and hats. <laughs> I'm all like, about... This, this kind of lady, this lady knows exactly what she's working with. First and foremost, I love peanut butter, right? Second, hat I love yeah. a good hat. Do you remember my set hat? I do, it was like a giant sombrero. Yeah, it was bit, it was bit, it was too big, and it had a hole in the front because I I'm six four and I would walk into pop up tents. I just have one of those black coverall hats, and I had a paper clips holding pieces of it together. That was my set hat, man. But yeah, no, I, I kind of I like that plan: peanut butter and hat. Yeah, right. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> no. To go along with uh, the eating, Chris had told me that some of the scenes that were uh, written but not filmed, uh, one of them was. Stitch goes into a grocery store and eats everything in sight and grosses out people that are in the grocery store, but it was deemed too expensive, so they couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, you uh, gotta you gotta get a store, you gotta get food. Yeah, that's a whole another ball game right there. But uh, an another thing that was shot, they actually shot this but wasn't used. Stitch actually gets into a fight with some put it hooligans, but they decided to cut it out of the movie due to the flow. It didn't it didn't work with the film. Oh man, that must be a bummer to film a fight scene and then cut that thing. Yeah, there was another thing that he said that they had, but they wound up not using, which was there was supposed to be a child version of Stitch who helps Stitch slash Jennifer escape the at the climax of the movie, but it was deemed not necessary. I wonder if Tyler regrets filming that fight scene. That one? I don't know. How, how much do you – how – I guess, yeah. But, I mean, you if you did have that in the movie, do you think that one-take fight scene would have been as memorable? Yeah, I guess it adds to the effectiveness of effectiveness of it but i mean i guess you always have to learn to what you know cut your babies yeah of course down. that's always the worst part like everybody knows from making a movie that you'll shoot something and then it's like oh no i really like that part but you couldn't use it and it's like uh or it didn't work and you're like oh but it's so beautiful and, lee wanell told a really funny story about upgrade a, a movie that i love i think i've told you this but he had a fight scene in it and he was talking to his producers he's like so yeah the main character walks into a room and fights two guys and the producer goes no he goes, okay, yeah, well, the, yeah. main, the main character walks into a room and fights one guy. No. Uh, the main character walks into a room and has a verbal duel with two guys. No. He walks into a room and has a verbal duel with one guy. No. A man walks into a room. No. A man <laughs> sees a room. No. 
a man walks past the room? No. Okay, there is no room. Yes. Like that's, <laughs> that's the discussion they had about an extra fight scene and upgrade. But I love the yeah. breakdown of how they, they kind of cut that down. And I mean, at the end, the movie still works. But you're right. I think the effectiveness of that fight scene. Yes, of course. Know, it, it, it would have uh, taken away from, from the frat house fight scene. And plus the flow, because if you think about the progression of this film, right? I guess the fight scene could show us that this character, yes, is very strong. However, the character goes about kind of getting revenge on the people that did her wrong. So the married man gets killed. The frat house guys get the get beat up. So they kind of go back and find the the guy who has the collective too. They kind of find him. The, yeah, doesn't have anything to do. Like with the plot, so yeah, I guess that definitely should go. It would well, it would be a revenge movie, and then if you added this, and it's like the, the scene with the hooligans, it's like, well, who are they getting revenge on now? And it's like, not unless it actually kind of worked. I totally understand why they would cut it out. Also, that food scene since she, when she became Stitch, where did we she get had, that cheese whiz? We already had the one eating scene, which was kind of already gross, which was in the diner. Remember, yeah. where she ordered the steak, puts marshmallows on it, then dumps fettuccine. So, if we needed, did we need another food scene? No, nah, not so much. That's probably why uh, that was probably deemed not to be okay, then not used. That was a gross food food scene. Yeah, <laughs> that guy is really chill about yeah having a frankenstein so friend i thought that was so funny because it's like he's pretty relaxed for a guy who's seeing something pretty disgusting going on and then the the, the sex scene which is just so damn funny she's leaning in for a kiss and he's kind of like Ugh. and then you know then you smash cut to her aggressively throwing him into the bedroom and then they're getting it on and then her arm falls off <laughs> and earlier on in the picture when she staples her finger back on yeah, did you notice that's that's how the movie opens up is with the the surgeon and he's talking to the face and another another character walks in and says, Hey, who are you talking to? He's like, Uh, no one. I'm just having issues with this arm and he pulls out a stapler, he's like staple, 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 and he, <laughs> yeah, he just starts slapping her. <laughs> that guy's drinking a Capri Sun, I think, too, in the beginning. Yeah, there's a lot of eating in this in this in the surgery room, uh, especially with the the other guy. He has the donut, and then he uh, <laughs> his buddy in the lab. I don't know if you ever watched it, but there's a show I love called Crazy Ex Girlfriend. No, I never seen. Oh, it. Oh, got it. Well, it's just a really excellent show. So when I saw that guy, it made me very happy. His buddy who drank the Capri Suns. You know when you watch a show and for the rest of time when you see him, like, oh, there's the wire. It's it's hard to break that image, dude. I mean, uh, like Robert Downey Jr. How long it took for him to uh, be broken away from uh, Chaplin. Really? He was Chaplin for a long time? He was Chaplin for a while. Remember the early 90s? That's all he was known for. And then... He's just walking down the street and people yell, Chaplin? <laughs> Yo, Chaplin, what's up, man? <laughs> Where's your mustache? Hey, back to school. What's going on? What's going on? Show me a triple Lindy. Oh, yeah, that was my dad. All right, so hey, let's do something. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk more patchwork. Welcome back to Movies, Films, and Flicks. And Chris Kelly, you're sounding great. Hey, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a lot of legwork for this. Is there, is there anything else cool that you want to tell me about in, during your interviews? And also, I just want to say, if anybody from the cast or crew of Patchwork is listening, we want to say thank you for answering all these questions and kind of providing us with this feedback to talk about your picture. We really appreciate it. Yes, yes. I, I had uh, sent out emails to everybody involved with this production and I contacted a lot of people, everybody internally within this film production, then forward my information or I forward, or forward me their information to then talk about this film. So I'm really happy that everybody was really open and really willing to want to talk about this film. Marley Vihiri, or she goes by Mars, she said, she's the production designer, and she said when she read the script, she instantly loved it. Uh, she was friends with Tyler from AFI, and she did a lot of shoots with him prior to this, one being the short film Patchwork is based on called Patchwork, which if you haven't seen the short film, there's a limited release that's happening right now as we're, as we're recording this podcast on VHS. It's really enjoyable. It's very short. It's uh, roughly three minutes long. It's that scene in, uh, in Patchwork where uh, Jennifer wakes up and she's saying, like, I mean, all the three head, all the three voices are going off at the same time. She's hungover, like, oh, my skin's crawling, my hair, my hair feels weird, etc. And then she screams. And actually, the scream that's in the short film is the same scream that's used in the feature film. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, it's re it's really interesting how they how they compiled all that together. That was actually used to as a makeup test so that to try to get funding for another film. But according to Chris Lee, that idea was then um, they were pitch um, Tyler and Chris were both pitching ideas back and forth. And that's how they came up to come up with a feature version of this. It's kind of funny because Chris Lee told me that he was actually sleeping on Tyler's couch at the time. <laughs> so there's, I just imagine him like sitting there, you know, like he has a sleeping bag pulled up over him. Like, hey, how about we just make a feature out of this? <laughs> I mean, that's what you got to do nowadays. Make the short to get the funding. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, people have been doing that since um, filmmaking in general. You know, Sam Raimi did the same thing with Evil Dead. Yeah, they I mean, raised 12, they, 12 minutes short. They had their Super 8 films, and then they raised the money from a bunch of dentists. <laughs> 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 and then they went oh, to the woods in North Carolina and had a miserable experience. <laughs> Have you read I his books, If Chins Could Kill? Oh, no, I've always wanted to. I think you were the one who told me to, to get it on Audible. I yeah. never got around to it. I, I, love, I love his. I love Bruce Campbell, man. And he might direct Doctor Strange 2, Sam Raimi. Really? I'm, that'll be a that'll be a good movie. I might come out of retirement to drink some coffee on film sets if that happens. <laughs> I never I didn't work on the uh, Doctor Strange. Well, that so. was filmed over in that was overseas. That was in London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why but, not, Chris Kelly? I could fly over there. Why not? <laughs> um, I've had I've had crazier offers for filmmaking. And I gotta say, for a hundred a <laughs> hundred thousand dollars though, the production design in this movie because all right. So first and foremost, you got to think that a lot of the production design you had some solid actors. 12-day shoots, but you had a lot of kind of gore in here. You had a lot of that kind of – those kind of gags. But the production design, I mean, she hits above her weight in this one. She really did. Mars told me that the original Frankenstein was the inspiration for the laboratory and that they wanted to go for cringe values, so she tried to make it as dirty as possible. Then It's grimy. Kind of, yeah, it's definitely – you feel the dirt. She said that then they wanted to update it for modern audiences, and most of the locations that were used – were left as is or minimal as possible was added to them. I mean, that's that's a, a big part that I tell a lot of my students with production design and looking for locations. You kind of got to find a spot that kind of tells a story already if you don't have a budget to dress it. Exactly. Uh, that's I mean, a lot of um, up and coming filmmakers. That's what you know. One of the things they always come into road bumps with is that they want to make you know Mad Max with ninjas, and it's like, well, <laughs> try to do something that you know already has a story that's already there, and then make your story around that. If I was a producer, I'd be like, how about Mad Max with no ninjas and no Mad Max and no cars. <laughs> Because <laughs> if we get streets, we got to close the streets. That means we need permits. And then and we, we need, need police permit. officers and blockades. Like, right. screw, screw that. There's, think of something that you can shoot in a church parking lot. Yeah. And, the only, <laughs> and the only God forgives, uh, we just talked about it recently on the podcast. I listened to the commentary, and they didn't have much of a budget for that. They actually had to go to a screening of Drive to raise money to finish the film. But oh Nicholas Winden Refn, he tasked his crew with finding clubs in Bangkok that were already dressed. They didn't have money to dress sets, so they wow. just found places that were dressed already and let that production design speak for itself. But wow. I do think, I mean, they picked they picked the right locations. I liked I liked the dorm room. I liked the apartment in the beginning. You don't spend much time there, but I liked the lab. I liked, you know, obviously you have to have scarcely decorated apartments, but a lot of these kids are new. In, like She had just moved into a place, so that's not going to be fully dressed, right? You're, if you just move into it, you don't have to dress it that much. If you are, what, that one guy was, he just was looking for a residency. Like, your house isn't going to be decorated that much because he's kind of moved there to find an area. So yeah. I, I think they really chose wisely with production design. Yeah, I, I think Mars did a phenomenal job. That's something, I, I, I appreciate that art a lot. And I think there, there, there's beautiful production design in, in the massive film. So, you know, Black Panther, Hannah Beecher Stowe, she was prepping for that for a year, but they also had $200 million budget to kind of prep everything they need. So, I mean, mm -hmm. the Oscar was well-deserved, and I think it's worth teaching. But I love teaching smaller areas of production design, just watching the, the, the nuances that you can add on a budget. That's the best teaching moments for me. Yes, being able to work with your surroundings, that's probably the best teaching uh, method you can do. And this movie had no annoying extras. I was I was watching a movie the other day, and I just I got really grumpy. Idle Hands? No, I love remember the, remember the extras in that the the, the director wrote a oh, poem yeah. about the extra. Yeah. Oh gosh. Because yeah. they had to edit they had to edit around her because she just kept getting to the front of the line and it's like. Ugh. I noticed some <laughs> extra walking the other day. I'm like, no one walks like that. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> People don't get it. Whatever you're watching, when you're watching a movie and you go on a film set and then you're like, hey, we just need you to be walking a dog. And then all of a sudden they freeze up. And then start walking in a in a weird way, and you're like, "This is not a Monty Python skit." Is that guy doing <laughs> the robot? Yeah. <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, it just boggles the mind. But no, I mean that that's I guess really great to the ads and everyone on set that there were no extras that annoyed me in this picture. Yeah, everybody everybody flowed really together well. Everything looked believable. I think that'd be but, fun to decorate that lab that that guy was in. The scientist. I mean, he doesn't yeah, have a name, so I got to call him that guy. The different uh, chemicals and whatnot to put into it. Yeah, the beakers. The be <laughs> That's my goal in the... life, is to set up a beaker production design set and just have some <laughs> boiling pink liquid. Gotta I've have made, green. I made Gotta fake drinks green. before. For AMC, they show the thing beforehand where, for some reason, everyone has glasses in the <laughs> AMC ads with bars, and they're holding a glass cup of Coke. Like, what? Yeah, what? How come every time I go there, they just give you like a plastic cup? They're like, what? No, I want the glass one in the picture. And martini like, we don't glasses, have martini yeah. glasses that people have. <laughs> I actually did learn. So I did a short with my students and I bought, let's see, what did I buy? I bought regular tea. I bought green tea, ginger ale, and a few other items. And I found out that ginger ale, if you let it be flat for about an hour, it makes really good beer. You can make mm -hmm. different drinks with the different kinds of tea. So I went and I bought a bunch of different things and made mixed drinks for a bar scene. So what you're telling me is you're drunk right now. Like, <laughs> so much ginger well, ale on me. I know it's noon on a Monday, but Kelly, I tell you, it's been a hard week already. I mean, it's lucky. I mean, 9 a.m. It was worse. <laughs> Life is tough. <laughs> so what I thought was also really interesting was at the, the end of the movie with uh, all the blood and the gore, Tyler said that they used roughly 12 gallons of blood, nice. which is not that much. <laughs> that place was soaked. I mean, listen, have you ever spilled a glass of water and you just find water somewhere else a month later? So, yeah, you, can, <laughs> you can make 12 gallons work. You can, yeah, definitely. Um, especially with spraying it and everywhere, just taking, putting in a uh, little bit of a brush and then splatting it around. The slipping and sliding that the, the surgeon did, Corey said that was actually real because he was trying to stand up, but he just kept falling over. <laughs> it's like, it's like the hell with it. I'll just be on the ground. <laughs> I never paid attention to the floor, but I mean, if that's, I don't know if it was concrete or linoleum, whatever it was, but if that's linoleum, you're not getting up. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what it was. I, I again, I watched it again this morning. And it's just like the scene, I mean, the whole place is, it's like a big, it's like, it looked like a body exploded and he's like slipping and trying to get up. And that's when he pulls out the gun and he's like, you bastard and shoots. And he's like, oh my God, you dick. We're like, why did you get in the way of me shooting my own creature? <laughs> I don't know if this is really random, but if you watch Deep Blue Sea again, the production designer put linoleum down on the floor and Rennie Harlan was complaining about that during the commentary. Cause when you see the actors fall, they're really falling because it's wet linoleum. <laughs> He's like, this is a $100 million movie, and our floors are all linoleum, and our actors slid everywhere. <laughs> but no, I guess going back to some of the smaller moments that we were just talking about, I like when she's eating cereal, and she can't quite get into her mouth, so the other hand helps. Those are neat little touches yeah. in the film. Yeah, she, uh, Tori did a phenomenal job with that. I mean, it really looked like she was three different characters trying to control one body. Yeah, legit physics. There's a lot of physicality in this role. Right, yeah. She went above and beyond. I was very much impressed with the film. I wouldn't be able to do it. No, no. My acting days are long and gone. Even if I would try to do it, I don't I don't think I'd be able to do it quite quite as good as she did. I'd just be one of the weird Romero zombies from 68 that looks <laughs> at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be like, release the owl cat. <laughs> I screened that for my students, I Living Dead, and I showed them the extra that just looks at the camera and he's walking naturally in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and then that inspired 50 years worth of zombie pictures. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's a good guy getting stabbed in the head in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of good head stabbing. The frat house guy, he really gets a he really gets a good good uh, knife to the head. Is that that's the serial killer in them, correct? So they all kind of have a blending I, of their you, personalities. I was thinking of the same thing that maybe the different personalities are egging her on to kill, or maybe they're all talking about it, and then Madeline gets worked up to the point where she does the killing. I think Madeline wants to kill the whole time. Yeah, but they the other two don't really, like Ellie and Jennifer aren't really into the killing as much as one would think. So then they are talking about the, talking about how they've been wronged, and then it's Madeline that's then driving the force. 
Because in the beginning, when they kill Bluetooth, they're kind of <laughs> happy about it, right? All three of them, they're like, that was great. Yeah, like, good job. Let's do this again. I know a frat house, and these guys dick me over. So then they, they go in to kill more. So they're kind of bad influences on each other, right? Kind of spirit led on by Madeline. Yeah, they're all kind of um, all, all the same people trying to egg each other on. And to be fair, they've been combined into three people, so who knows where their brain's at. Yeah, of course. I, I love the, the scene where she goes to the nightclub and the guy who's like kind of a douche is like chatting up all the girls. And Stitch walks in, picks up one of the, I don't know what those are called. The, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the stanchion, so I guess. Tur turns to the girl and she's like, were you with him all last week? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Now, that poor guy, he, all right, so he was a jerk, but he, he wasn't, he didn't deserve to die. I don't know, no, he definitely didn't deserve to die. I think it would have been funny. I mean, you know, but it's, it's funny to see, see getting back at all these different guys that screw him over. Didn't, didn't they say, I liked when the guy said that, uh, we don't call it a crew anymore, we're a collective. And you hear a lot of that, where there's an art collective of people who make pictures together. The mm. part of a so I kind of liked, you know, maybe that was an insider hollywood type thing there with the collective we're in a collective yeah that's pretty that. it's pretty cool i like i like seeing whenever uh the same group of people make the same make, make another movie uh much like a translated into tragedy girls which was their follow-up man that was a that was a big uh, before we get into that if you were garrett how would you feel at the end of this picture I'd be pissed. <laughs> I'd be really pissed, <laughs> to be honest. But whenever I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I'd be angry. But then again, he gets shot, and he's di he's dying. So this is kind of a way to save him. There is something to say here. I guess he does save Stitch because she's about to get sawed. But mm -hmm. she told him not to come. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of his own dumb fault. And then he shows up and gets shot. And, I, yeah, and, then, yeah, and then he gets called a dick as he's dying. <laughs> <laughs> and his spine is going to be used to make a short person much taller. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the, another thing I thought was pretty funny was that uh, other animals had been written out to piece together in this movie. Not, it wasn't just the owl cat, but one of the ideas was a snake bat. <laughs> that sounds horrifying. Oh, a really great quote that I got from Chris Lee Hill was he said, personally, I like the idea of every owl cat. There is a cat owl to match. <laughs> Man, but he said he said that while they were making the movie one of the, the few fun moments that he had was watching the three ladies whenever they were rehearsing the fight sequence because he said it made him feel like this was a much bigger movie than what it, than what um they had envisioned well that's that's, so be a, good that's a nice home feeling you know what i mean like whenever you're on it you got to be like as a, as a writer or director and you're watching something that you've written being acted out in front of you it's like it's a nice feeling. I, I just feel that's very nice warming. How did your Santa short feel when you saw the finished product? I, I liked it at for, I, I really well. Um, when we chopped it all together and it was edited, uh, I believe it was just a few minor tweaks because there was a really close-up, really really extreme close-up on uh, the little girl who says, you know, Santa, can I go home now at the end? We had a really good tight close-up on her face. It was beautifully shot. However, it didn't match the movie. Ah. Uh -huh. Just it the, really didn't. It's a beautiful shot, though. I'm not going to lie to you. It really is gorgeous, but it just didn't fit. Why would you lie to me, Chris? Kelly? <laughs> what, is this going to lead us down something, Chris Kelly? <laughs> I'm worried um, about this. Now I'm really worried. Oh, I, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I had a bu buddy that we all call them no lie. He's like, no lie, man. This hot dog's great. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Like, well, why would you lie to me about a good hot dog? Yeah, what, what, <laughs> like, what haven't you been lying about? Like, have like, you been lying? You told me that you liked relish. No one likes relish. Wait, you didn't say no lie before that. Does that mean you're lying? <laughs> he was either really brilliant at getting in people's heads, or he just occasionally <laughs> said, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, th I think he's mediocre getting in my head, and I think he's lying. <laughs> so I have a question, and this is about Tragedy Girls. Who do you think is a better director? Mario Wario or Dario Pargento? <laughs> I'm going to go with Pario. What was it Pario Gargento? Yeah, I just said the <laughs> wrong word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, that was just really, I loved how, how the, they, they, they pretended the whole time to not know anything. And it's just, that, that movie was brilliantly made, too. And this, this is not a knock on Patchwork, which I really enjoyed. But the step up to Tragedy Girls, well, that was a very confident step up oh, to yeah. that film. Oh, yeah. It felt like a lot bigger movie. It felt like a lot more going on, a lot of more moving parts. Big kudos to everybody involved as well, because 
it just it showed that they went from one film to another and it just really showed that they could handle something of a much larger caliber not to say that patchwork is wasn't a um, beast in its own but it just really showed with tragedy girls especially with the burning building with everyone being trapped inside someone upside down getting their head sawed you had, you had bike gags going on you had actual moving vehicles yeah yeah there was a lot of a lot of <laughs> the guy being thrown off the balcony and uh, being hung more days yeah there probably was more days i didn't i didn't get to ask uh tyler about tragedy girls so i'm um really kind of upset about that but yeah that would have been cool i think to hear him talk about that i think tragedy girls though or not tragedy girls patchwork though i think this really was a 12 i mean everything that i've know i've learned about this movie has made me like it better 12 days under a hundred thousand dollars just a very interesting i mean this could be a good film to teach in class just to talk to the production designers to talk to everybody just to kind of see how to stretch a budget i i, I definitely agree with that i think that this film would be great to use for uh, any aspiring filmmaker to just say like you know oh i don't have the money it's not in my budget to make what i want and it's like well look what he did with less than a hundred thousand and it, i mean it's a beautifully made movie so i uh, wanted to go along with that uh chris lee hill had told me a funny story that happened uh while during the production of this and he said one night after a long night of shooting uh, Tyler and I were in the, a minor car accident where we blew out two tires. We were both exhausted, but we had to eat ice cream sandwiches that were given to us by Ethan, the producer and the person who ran Crafty, to transport. So sitting there at, on a curb at 3 a.m. eating ice cream, melting ice cream sandwiches, waiting for a tow truck. I don't think there is a better explanation of indie filmmaking than that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I thought that was really good because I was like, I told him I had a similar story with pizza. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Before we get into kind of Chris Kelly recommendations, anything else you want to say about this movie? Anything else that it was cool that was covered in your interviews? Everybody involved in the interviews, I just want to say we're all very friendly, all very open. They gave me a lot of good insight. A lot of the information that um, you look up online, it's kind of sparse. A few of the articles aren't really as in-depth as anything else. So I, w I was happy to talk, to reach out to these guys and to have them actually respond. So thank you very much, everybody involved in the production, for replying back to me and giving us a lot of insight on making of this movie. All right, so now it's time for some Chris Kelly recommendations. I'm not going <laughs> to sing for you because last time you're like, Mark, now it's time for the song. So I've, reti oh. I've retired the song. Are there any recommendations? There is, but let me just say, the composer on this movie, he uh, is very well known for his Christmas movie scores. He did five in 2019 alone. Oh, so he, does he work for Hallmark? And those yes, kind of, oh. and Lifetime and places no. like that. So I thought that was funny because I looked it up and I was like, man, this guy has a ton of Christmas movies. Well, here's the, so, here's the thing, Chris Kelly. I watch those those films. and I do too. And I th I think anybody that laughs at them is it, that's antiquated to laugh. That's antiquated thinking because these things are here to stay. I mean, they make dozens a year and they're big money now. Oh yeah, they definitely pull in because they're they're always popular during a certain time of year. I saw one. It was like called like uh, Christmas in Nashville, I think. Where With oh, snowy, Kelly snowy. Pickler. Snowy, snowy Mountain Christmas, where it's about like a Nashville country star that gets snowed in. It's really funny and it's really cute. So it's like. No, I, I like those movies as well. Also, uh, the composer, Russ Howard III, he did Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh, so, Rucker Howard. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of um, – I thought that was really cool. And I want everyone to know that if they hear purring or something hitting the microphone, I have my cat with me. And, <laughs> and my cat's purring. And my cat knows how to work the ice maker now on my refrigerator. So it jumps up and it presses the ice maker until ice comes out, and then it bats the ice around the house. Ghost bats the ice around the house. Pretty impressive. What do you think? My Chris cat Kelly? has a full-time job, also. Yeah, he's I just... currently doing my taxes. <laughs> Paper route. And <laughs> he has a little green hat on and a calculator. And if you're having uh, septic tank tank problems, just give him a ring. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he'll drive up in a tiny car. <laughs> little tiny hose and clean it out. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's, it's the cutest damn thing you've ever seen. Just... Wait, um, but I just checked your septic tank and it's not clogged. Yeah, we just wanted to have you out here. I heard about this tiny car. I did, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Mark's been talking about this wait, thing for weeks. Why are you lying to this person? Oh, wait, no, that's a... <laughs> not going to lie to you. I'm lying. <laughs> wait. So my, uh, my... <laughs> uh So my, uh, my recommendations... <laughs> I do have two recommendations. Uh, as I said before, that my recommendations, whenever we do a podcast, uh, you think of this podcast as being the meal, 
and my recommendations is more like a wine or a beer or maybe like a side dish to complement this. They may not be directly related, but they complement the film very well. First recommendation is Assassination Nation. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I watched that. And it's a great movie, isn't it? That's Neon. Neon's crushing it. No, yeah. This movie, all their movies are very, very vivid and very raw. That's why, what I like about them. Wild lot. Rose came out this year. I absolutely adored that. I got the I haven't great, seen that. I got uh, They also did Monos. Mm. So I don't good. think I've seen that one. And Apollo 11, that should have won an Oscar. Yeah, that was a great one. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, dude. That's that should have won best foreign film. Mm. I'm telling you I haven't right seen now. that, but I'm uh, I'll have to definitely. I'm not gonna lie to you, Chris Kelly. Not gonna lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> Assassination Nation is on Hulu right now. Oh, actually, well, let me let me just add that uh, if you do want to watch Patchwork, it is on Shutter. And I spoke with the guys at Videodrome here in Atlanta, Georgia, and they will be ordering it to be rented um, shortly. Nice. Yeah, they didn't. They never heard of the movie. So after telling them about it, while I went to go rent one of my recommendations, the guy was really impressed and decided to rent to order it for rental. Nice. So Assassination Nation uh, about a group of girls that are targeted by the small town, mainly because of uh, everything that's being leaked. Uh, all everybody's phones have been hacked, and all the information on them is being leaked to the general public. And the general public is then turning on everybody. You have the mayor, you have the principal. Yeah, distinct characters throughout the whole movie, and everyone links this back to these three, these four girls. I'm sorry, and the town then wants to kill them all, kill those girls, and the girls then wreak havoc on the town. Whether or not they live, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's kind of up for debate if they'll be killed, but it is. It's very violent, it's really enjoyable, and I just recommend this one to go along with Patchwork. Love it. And then what's your second? Psychos in Love, the 1986 released in 1987. Classic. <laughs> I don't know if you've uh, seen this movie, but it was um, Vinegar Syndrome, which uh, is a group of guys, Ryan Emerson and Joe Rubin, who have decided to purchase a bunch of cult films. Oh, I just bought Tammy and the T-Rex by Vinegar Syndrome. Exactly. That was their, that's their big one. That one. That's the one that's getting the most uh, recognition I'm right now. I'm talking about that on Wednesday. Awesome. Do you know yeah. they showed that at they showed that at the plaza here? Yeah, that would have been sweet. I, I wanted to go and they said the vinegar syndrome guys were there to sell merchandise and DVDs. I wanted to go, but I didn't get a chance and to. Ten dollar testicular standoffs. <laughs> have you heard so, have you seen the movie? No, oh, I'm gonna see then, I'm oh, gonna okay. see it eventually. Um I, I I first saw it whenever it was at Videodrome to rent. I just thought it was the most ridiculous concept of a film, and then I saw it on Shutter, and I, I instantly wanted to go get it. Denise so Richards eventually... plays it perfectly straight, man. She just she she nails it. It's played so earnestly, the movie, and it works. It's really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Psycho's in Love. Um, it's to rent at Videodrome right now. It's not streaming anywhere, but it's directed by Gorman Burchard, who was an indie gore filmmaker. Now he does more documentaries, but he was well-known uh, in the 80s and somewhat in the 90s is making kind of strange uh, horror films. And this one is about two people. It's really funny. It's about, it's done kind of like, it's kind of hard to tell, like if he's going for a documentary style or if he's going for a storytelling style or if he's going for interview style. But basically it's about a guy who, hates grapes violently hates grapes and uh, he kills people and then he meets a woman who also violently hates grapes and then she also kills pe people they then meet and fall in love and the movie's about them killing people it's very funny it's extremely violent i strongly recommend watching this movie uh, if you can find it anywhere to rent or to purchase i would recommend getting it the dvd is chock full of features uh, two commentaries tons of Deleted scenes, behind the scenes footage, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, they are jam packing these DVs to the to the gills. And I just love it. I think it's so, so cool. I love it. That sounds fun. Yeah, I really I'm the Vinegar Syndrome guys. I'm really impressed with the movies that they're putting out. I mean, they're really digging up anything that you can even that you didn't even think existed. It's kind of like the people that did Blood Lake. I uh, forget their name, but they, they definitely have compiled these DVDs and released them to the general public. And they're jam packed, filled with everything you can imagine. I like it. Yeah, right. man. All right, so let's do this. One quick thing. Let's do a quick draft. Yes. So that we're going to put on Movies, Films, and Flicks Facebook. So what we'll do is we need to draft a team. And I haven't even thought about it yet. But let's do a team where any movie featuring the loss of a limb. Okay, movie featuring the loss of a limb. Yeah, or leg, arm. You could even do decapitations. Just movie where people lose 
A body part. Okay. All right, pick a number between one and two. Two. All right, go. You get first pick. All right, I'm going to go with Alive. Alive? Yeah. Is that the Remember one where they eat people? Yeah, you want to talk about decapitations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, come on. If I can come up with a movie where somebody gets... Oh, there's, there's, there's so many of them. I know, but I'm like, I'm, ugh, I hate, I, I, uh, sorry, I'm going to do a quick Google search. That's fine. Come on. I, I, um, do, do what you got to do, man. Let's take a Michael is, Ironside movie. All right. Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's a good one. All right. All right I'm going to do Idle Hands. Idle Hands? Yeah. Oh, God, how did I, how did I, how did I uh, miss that one? That's a good uh, Luke Wilson loses two arms in Anchorman. That's perfect. Ooh. Here's a great one. Uh, 127 hours. <laughs> yes. That's, all right. I'll do Evil Dead 2. Ah, son of a bitch. All <laughs> right. Oh, my. They <laughs> did it again. <laughs> Sin City. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a really good one. So, wait. He gets smashed. He gets ripped. Yeah, you're right. I love that movie. I'm going to say Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Does this count Happy Gilmore? Uh, do, do we see him lose the arm? No, you're right. We don't see him. We don't see him lose the arm, lose the hand. Okay. That doesn't count then. All right. Cannibal Holocaust. Oh my goodness. And this is one of the biggest, my biggest articles, by the way. I wrote an article about limb loss, and this has been one of my most read <laughs> articles yeah. I've ever written. Like, how does that movie, how does that movie uh, get, get, bring out the, uh, uh, the people, the fans? All right. I'm going to say... I want to do something weird. I know. It's a tough one. I'll do Total Recall. Ooh, good one. See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> he loses right. both his arms. Yeah, he cuts off both his arms. Like, man, that's such a dick move to say, too, isn't it? <laughs> he cuts his arms like, see you at the party, Richter. It's like, jeez, Louise. Thanks Speaking a lot. Of, I, did, I, just, I showed my girlfriend uh, uh, Under Siege. <laughs> good oh, old man. Steven Seagal classic there's some, there's, some, there's some great lines in that one too rips, he literally rips out the guy's throat literally Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> Gary Busey alright so you have Alive Anchorman 127 Hours Sin City Cannibal Holocaust I have Monty Python The Holy Grail Idle <laughs> Hands Evil Dead 2 Highlander and Total Recall alright can we can we add one more or is that it sure we'll do six why not alright uh, Predator Pre oh gosh that's a yeah. really good one blows his arm right off you know what maybe I shouldn't let you do six ah <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got to come up with one more. I'm, people, I'm sure people are screaming at the... Kramer versus Kramer! Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh, man. 13 Assassins. There's good arm losing. Swim fan. Oh, no. Oh, dude. I got it. Mm. Hot tub time machine. Man, you're that, that's an entire sub that, That's an that's entire whole... subplot. <laughs> there's a whole subplot. How did subplot. we not see that coming? <laughs> It's going to happen now. Oh, man. Don't tell me this is how he loses his arms. Shit. No, don't help him when he gets stuck in the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is good. Predator's legit, man. Do you want to lose one? Okay, so what, what, what's my list again? I'll drop total. Uh, you have Alive, Anchorman, 127 Hours, Sin City, Cannibal, Holocaust, Predator. All right, I'm going to take out Alive and put Predator. Okay, and then I'll lose Total Recall. I mean, it's a great line, but Highlander just makes me laugh. <laughs> I oh my god that's <laughs> that's that, that's that, that's another phenomenal film no i'm gonna lose idle hands and i'm gonna keep total recall are you sure that's yeah. a pretty i mean they're both pretty solid well i already have a guy losing a hand to evil dead too now, that's I, a good point yeah i have an entire arm getting lost i have legs and arms i have arms i have a, a hand and i have heads <laughs> <laughs> Heads, arms, hand, hands. We'll roll. <laughs> oh, Alien would be good too when the robot gets decapitated. All right. So, hey, this was fun, man. Thank you for joining me and thanks for doing all this work. Oh, yeah. No problem, man. Uh, the next time I think we're doing uh, uh, Liquid Sky. Yeah, Liquid Sky. So, for me, Mark Hoffmeyer, and for Chris, I ain't going to lie, Kelly. This is Movie Sons of Flicks. We'll see you next week and we'll watch out for the Liquid Sky episode that's coming up maybe in a month or so. All right. Bye.